at this star couple, Dina Morishita and Welly Yang. They've starred in Les Mis, Miss Saigon, and here's the show where they met. It's a stage adaptation of Ang Lee's The Wedding Banquet. And they recently moved their family from Los Angeles to Taiwan. There you see Dina and the kids arriving in Taiwan at the airport. So what prompted them to move halfway around the world during a global pandemic? We're going to have their story in today's show. I'm Andrew Ryan. I'm Natalie So, but first let's take a look at the stories on our radar. They call this boat the Carrier Killer. Taiwan's Navy has upgraded its Tuojiang-class stealth missile corvette. It's ordering more of the ships, saying they will arrive years ahead of schedule. The goal is to boost Taiwan's defenses against China at a time of heightened cross-strait tensions. Oceanographers say the concentration of trash on the ocean floor around Taiwan is one and a half times higher than the global average. This year, a group of about 400 divers has hauled up 7,350 kilograms of seabed trash from Taiwan's coastline. Check out this brand new look for the China Airlines cargo jets. Taiwan's flag carrier is hoping the new livery will highlight the fact that the airline is Taiwanese and not Chinese, as its name seems to imply. The design features the outline of Taiwan and relegates the airline's name to small text on the back of the fuselage. How do you move a 1,200-ton temple? That sounds like the beginning of a joke, but it's not. An urban development project left the historic Fu'an Temple stranded in the middle of a Pingdong County road. 1,200 volunteers tried to lift the whole thing onto rollers and pull it with ropes. It didn't work out, and machines had to be called in, but the volunteers are proud to have been part of the attempt. A group of senior citizens is embarking on a mission to spread holiday cheer across Taiwan. They plan to dress up as Santa and cycle across the island, giving out presents to children along the way. What would it take to get you to move across the world, Andrew? Me? <laughs> I don't think it would. I don't think anything really at this point. I'd, I'd prefer to stay here. How about you? Uh, it's the best place to be right now. Actually, many people have come to Taiwan to shelter from COVID-19, and a lot of them have family here. That's right. Now, Welly and Dina's story is a little bit more complicated. Earlier this year, she found out that she had breast cancer. Recently, I sat down with them to hear their story, and I began by asking what prompted their move. At the end of the day, it just what really made the difference was, like he said, just watching our children on their iPads, not being able to go outside, not being able to see their friends, not being able to go to school, and thinking, you know what, if school even goes back, um, they can't go because I can't, I can't catch COVID in the midst of, of going through chemotherapy. So, you know, we needed, I, it was just like, we, we, have to, we have to go. We have to get out of here. I've been impressed at how Dina has dealt with kind of the double whammy. I mean, it's cancer and COVID. And, um, and at that time we had, you know, the social unrest. We had protests and fires, that man-made fires. And then we had natural fires in California. I mean, it was, it was, it was a four, four things happening yeah. in California. Um, so I, was, I, was, I mean, I was very impressed that Dina was able to kind of deal with it all so, you know, well and reasonably. Good job. So, Welly, were you the, the person that brought up the idea of coming to Taiwan or is this something you'd both thought of together? 
I think I've, I've always wanted my, I'm a second generation Taiwanese American and um, my roots are like so important to my own identity. And I always wanted our children to have that, have a relationship with Taiwan and know their ancestry, know their homeland and all those things. Um, so it was always at the back of my mind. And I think before the pandemic, I also was looking for kind of a, a next chapter or a sabbatical. Um, and Dina said to me, I don't think you should stop working. I was like, well, I just want to do something <laughs> different. I want to do something different in life. It's mid-40s. Um, <laughs> it's a retire. Like, and, cool, uh, babe. No, I, I think oh. you called it a midlife crisis. Midlife, you can't okay, yeah. midlife, midlife crisis. Yeah. Tell me about the, the first day of school. Like, you're here in Taiwan. You've gone through, you know, 14 days of quarantine. Yeah. And finally, you're starting to experience normal life again. What was that like for you? It was emotional. It was overwhelming. It was kind of, um, it was the end of, of a really uh, significant period of time, you know, that we were, that it was just the four of us all day, every day for six months. So, you know, as, as much of a pain as it was to homeschool my children, I got really used to just being with them constantly. So to finally just kind of send them back to school, um, it was like, you know, I was like, oh, just wait, don't, don't leave me. You know, now, now what am I going to do with I was myself? the opposite. I was like, go, now go. Now what am I going to do? I'm going to go home and what? Um... And then, you know, to, to arrive at a school with children, with all the excitement and the, the buzz of, of the, the energy of, of a school, um, and to see them just, I mean, they were, they were overwhelmed as well, but just to kind of see them in that environment again, it was, um, it was, it was very emotional. Life in Taiwan, <laughs> how has that been? Life in Taiwan has been really great. I found a group of amazing women. Um, I have several groups of amazing women, but one in particular who um, I work out with that uh, we meet twice a week, and they are the most supportive, beautiful, wonderfully grounded, giving women um, that have just been... um, a light in in my life since I arrived here, and um, so I do that. I'm I'm you doing some mountain yoga, climbing, mountain climbing. I went mountain climbing. Um, I'm learning Mandarin. We're going out to eat. Um, we're going on walks and hikes, and and it's been very easy to just kind of acclimate to to life here. What do your uh, friends and family think about your decision to move to Taiwan? When you told them, what did they say? My family, of course, loves it because they're now here, and my mom you know, just wants us to stay forever. Um, and that's and then my friends in Los Angeles keep telling me, "I hope you realize every day what a great decision you've made." I mean, a lot of our friends are like, "How do we get there?" Yeah, I mean, I've can we come visit? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think after after we kind of came out that we yeah. had. Um, uh, that we had joined the exodus from <laughs> from America, um, a lot of people reached out to me and asked, "How did you get in? Like, can I go?" And what music has helped bring you through this time? Do you find yourselves singing particular songs? If I were to, you know, listen in in your household, what would I hear? <laughs> Our son loves to sing. He was blue and white and green and purple. 
He was sitting there since late last um, You know, we had a... We had the wonderful experience towards the beginning of the pandemic where we did uh, a family performance where the four of us sang together for a, a fundraiser for a nursing home that both Dina's grandparents had been at. Mm-hmm. And that was an amazing musical experience for us to be able to sing with our children. That's so sweet. Those kids are so lucky. They have such great music teachers at I home, know. right? I <laughs> know. Amazing. What a musical family and so inspiring, too. Yeah. I'm glad that they found a nice community here and that they're happy here. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, Taiwan's a great place to be right now. Now, a lot of people are asking, is it possible to come to Taiwan to shelter from COVID-19? I think there are a couple important things to point out. Uh, if you are Taiwanese or you're related to someone that's Taiwanese, it's a little bit easier. If you're a foreigner, you need to have, I think, a work visa or you can apply for the gold card like Welly and Dina did. Uh, the other thing that people are asking is, can we come and use Taiwan's great, you know, health care, right? Uh, yes, you can use the health care. The insurance is a little bit more difficult. So for Welly and Dina, they actually have to pay out of pocket. But it's not that expensive. Yeah, actually. it's still much cheaper than it is in most places in the world. And the full interview is very interesting. It will be up on YouTube and Facebook. And up next, hashtag Taiwan. I'll be the first to admit, I love Taiwan. Many viewers have pointed out that I even have a sticker proclaiming Taiwan number one on my laptop. But I also know that I'm a little biased. I was born in Taiwan and I spent the last seven years here. My love for Taiwan is, dare I say, subjective, personal, and a circumstance of pure chance. Would I still love Taiwan had I been born anywhere else? Hard to say. This week's hashtag Taiwan doesn't focus on loving Taiwan, but it does at least admire the country. On December 14th, the New York Times published an opinion piece titled, Pound for Pound, Taiwan is the most important place in the world. Now, don't get me wrong, I love Taiwan, but that article title still makes me go, really? The opinion piece was written by Rushir Sharma. He is the chief global strategist at Morgan Stanley Investment Management. Why does Mr. Sharma claim that Taiwan is the most important place in the world? Chips. No, not that kind of chip. I'm talking about the kind of chips that are powering the device you're watching this show on right now. Mr. Sharma says faster, more powerful chips are the critical building blocks of rapidly evolving digital industries like artificial intelligence and high-speed computing. Where does the world get these cutting-edge chips? Taiwan. I know what you're thinking. But Leslie, the world's largest tech companies like Apple, Google, and Intel aren't Taiwanese. You're right, they're not. But those companies rely on Taiwan to supply the chips in your iPhones, iPads, and computers. Taiwanese companies like Foxconn and TSMC assemble products for other major brands. In fact, the article points out that in the 2010s, Foxconn was producing 40% of the world's consumer electronics. South Korean tech titan Samsung also produces chips, but the New York Times article says that because it makes products that compete with other major brands, other companies aren't too keen on giving Samsung their money. Taiwan is perfectly fine collecting a paycheck without any of the fame. Don't you boys stop fighting now! In response to the article, Asayer Talbos said that in addition to the country's chip-making prowess, in Taiwan, the leaders trusted science and were ahead of the curve on COVID-19. We are quite fortunate. 
I think Taiwan's success with handling COVID-19 definitely helped domestic productivity, allowing it to overtake foreign competitors. Steve Hartzler says, plus, the people are quite nice. I agree. In a snarky reply, Charles Smith says the U.S. is too keen on keeping corporation assets low. That way, company performance looks better on paper. That's why they outsource to Taiwan. He ends by saying the Chinese simply have to establish their own fab plants in China, and the U.S. and Taiwan are toast. If you mean toast in the sense that toast is delicious or that it goes well with butter, then you couldn't be any more accurate, good sir. In all seriousness though, a separate CNBC article said that China is still behind when it comes to chip making and will have a hard time catching up with the state of the art. Geographically speaking, Taiwan is small. Population-wise, we only have about 24 million people. But for all of our shortcomings in quantity, we more than make up for in quality. I encourage you to do a little digging into the device you're watching this show on. Odds are there's a little piece of Taiwan in it. But just remember, that little piece is helping you do big, big things. Today, we're going to play Taiwan Trivia. And Andrew and Leslie, you guys are very good at this. Oh, no. I guessed um, half the time last time. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Me too. You're going to guess seven questions about the Taipei 101 fireworks. And we're going to see who Ooh. gets the most right. Okay. Okay. So you guys ready? Yes. What world record did the Taipei 101 fireworks set? Last year? No, just by having it. It was the only place in the world that had uh, fireworks on a building. That's right. Off a high rise. Yay! Oh, yes. Wow. Okay. <laughs> okay. And so specific. When was the first Taipei 101 fireworks show? What year? Say 2004? You're right! Oh. Oh. <laughs> It was the first year. It was the first okay. year. They completed the building that day. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> Talk about <laughs> cutting it close. Yeah, I know. Seriously. Wow. You all didn't get that right. I just got this close. <laughs> Why were there rumors in 2008 that they would stop this New Year's fireworks show? Um, because of air pollution. Nope. No? No. Why were there rumors in 2008? Air pollution. No, they've discussed it. There's a the firework shortage? No. <laughs> um, One more guess. Uh, yeah. Uh, 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 no work. <laughs> because it was going to hurt the building. <laughs> no? Because they rented out the whole building. Oh, oh. So, But then they decided, no, we're going to keep doing this, and we're going to even let people watch it from the observatory. Who the whole building? They did, the office buildings. Oh, that, oh. Yeah? Oh, so, Inside gotcha. the building. Gotcha. How long was the longest Taipei 101 fireworks show? Yes, I Leslie? want to say 400 seconds. Uh, 400 seconds? No, How not that, that long. No, not that long. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to say... Andrew? Five minutes. Nope. Oh. One more guess. Oh, my goodness. Not that long. Not 400 seconds. Not 300 seconds. <laughs> 350 seconds. Very close. Six minutes. Oh. Okay. Oh, it was man. on December 31st, 2017. They also did something new that year. What was added to make it more environmental? An LED show. That's that. right. Yeah. Nice, nice. Okay. Now, this year, what city wants to challenge the Taipei 101 um, for having the best fireworks in Taiwan? Kaohsiung's always yeah, thrown down. Yeah, it's gotta be Well, I heard it from the new Taipei mayor, actually. Oh, oh new Taipei! Yeah! <laughs> oh, <I'm 
It's going to be 3D. That's right. <laughs> it's uh, 360 degrees, meaning that it's, revol- it's around the whole building. You can watch it at any angle, and you get to see the whole thing. Doesn't that always happen? Like, mm-hmm. I remember the fireworks all just spew out Some from all Some of them do, but not all of them. Oh. So anyways, we're going to take a look. Oh, we have a video here of what it's going to look like. Let's take a look at the Taipei 101 fireworks for this year. Every New Year's Eve, people enjoy watching the Taipei 101 fireworks. Good news came on Wednesday. Taipei 101 chairman Zhang Chiu announced that the fireworks show will be on as usual this year. He said Taiwan has done a great job containing COVID-19, so it's time to celebrate Taiwan's success. He wants the world to know that Taiwan is a safe and highly civilized place. And our thoughts are with the rest of the world. He said this year's theme is let love embrace the world, let hope light up the future. He said we want to send our prayers and best wishes for people around the world to enjoy a safe and healthy new year. This year's fireworks will be 300 seconds long and feature 16,000 fireworks. And for the first time, the show will be 360 degrees around the building, enabling people to enjoy the full show while watching from any angle of the building. All are welcome to come to Taipei to enjoy the fantastic fusion of lights, fireworks, and music at the Taipei 101 on New Year's Eve. Now, our final question of the day. Uh, now, earlier in Hashtag, you talked about Taiwan's most valuable export, That's which right. is computer chips. Not potato chips. Not potato <laughs> chips. Uh, and now we're going to ask, uh, what is Taiwan's most underrated export? And we're going to have Nally answer first. Okay. I love Taiwan's fruit. Got a lot of great Ooh, mango, like pineapple, guava, bananas. Also good. Mm, yum, and yum. much more. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> Very nutritious. Yeah, Very nutritious. Fiber, and delicious. Fiber. Vitamins, minerals, mm, all the things. What about things. you guys? How about Leslie? Leslie. Uh, this is mine. Inspiration. Aww. Because now on social media, when you see good news about Taiwan, it's about how we did well with COVID, how people love living in Taiwan. Mm. And as a Taiwanese person, I'm like, you know what? That's right. Inspiring. Yeah. I like that. And uh, we're not just inspiring other people, but, you know, it's an inspiration to ourselves. That's true. Yeah, that's very true. Taiwan could use a little more confidence. We've we got do. a lot of great things better. going on here. Uh, so mine uh, is a little bit... Simpler. Bicycles! We do have good bicycles. We have great bicycles and great paths, too. Absolutely. Uh, We should say uh, Taiwan is home to some of the biggest bicycle manufacturers. Uh, I think the world's largest bicycle manufacturer is Taiwanese. That's right. Giants, right? That's right. Giants. So there you have it. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of Taiwan Insider. Be sure to connect with us on social media. Yes, and if you like our show, subscribe and leave a comment below. For Taiwan Insider, I'm Natalie So. I'm Leslie Liao. And I'm Andrew Ryan. See you next week. Taiwan Today with Natalie So.
Hello and welcome to Taiwan Today. Two Broadway stars, Dina Morishida and Willie Young, who have starred in Les Miserables, Miss Saigon, The Wedding Banquet, and more, have moved to Taiwan during the pandemic. And in today's show, RTI host Andrew Ryan talks with Dina and Willie, who are married, about their new life in Taiwan. Now, in a moment, we're going to be talking about um, how you decided to leave the United States and move to Taiwan during the pandemic. But I think before we start that, I have to fanboy for just a moment. <laughs> um, both of you have had some amazing accomplishments in musical theater. Dina, you played Eponine in Les Miserables, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Trying French. to get the French pronunciation correct. <laughs> also, Kim in Miss Saigon. Mm -hmm. um, you, Welly, have also played in Miss Saigon in a starring role. Yeah. And you've also created some of your own pieces, Making Tracks, which is about the Asian American uh, history in the United States. Also, uh, The Wedding Banquet, yeah. which is a remake of the Ang Lee movie. And you two actually starred in that together, right? We did, yeah. And that's when we met. That's um, how you met. Yeah. That's when you, how you hit it off. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and that's actually quite a, an interesting way for you to hit it off because you're playing a part of a gay couple, that's right? That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're the the woman the beard. you're getting married to. Yeah the, yeah, the the beard. Yeah. So And we had a gay we had a gay marriage on stage before it was legalized in America and and in Taiwan. And um yeah, so it was it was it was it's amazing to see that movement um the gay movement progressed so incredibly quickly over the years. And that happened, when, when, when did that premiere? That was 2003 here in Taiwan. And then I think we were in Singapore around the same year, right? And mm -hmm. then um, in Seattle uh, into 2004. That's amazing. Yeah. So really kind of a groundbreaking musical at the time. Who would have thought, you know, back then that the United States would eventually pass same-sex marriage in Taiwan as well? Yeah, we thought... Um, my co-writer, Brian Yorkey, who has since gone on to win a Pulitzer Prize and a Tony Award, he, we thought, this show will be controversial forever. It'll be great because uh, same-sex marriage will never be legal. <laughs> and we'll, it'll be controversial. It'll be relevant. And then, of course, you know, who knew? Just um, probably about eight, maybe nine years later or within the next 10 years, it was legalized in, in both America and, and then Taiwan recently. Mm. So I want to talk a little bit about the pandemic. Yeah, you both live in Los Angeles yes. and continue to do work in theater and in television. What's it been like during the pandemic for your work? Well, I actually had transitioned to more interior design. Um, so the pandemic actually, we kind of shut down for a while. Um, no one wanted anybody in their house. Um, <laughs> I, <can> <laughs> I didn't want to go to anybody's house. <laughs> The kids were at our house, <laughs> uh, so it was it was a little. Uh, it, it, the pandemic definitely just kind of brought everything to a halt. Um, we were just in survival mode at that point. Yeah, I mean, we. Yeah, Dean and I have both had uh, kind of second chapters in our lives. We both uh, built and designed homes as well, and invested in a lot of properties um, in addition to our musical career. But you know, everything was. We you know we continue to do performances in LA and but no no events were happening um, 
we often will do you know large events and of course none of those were happening at all yeah i actually did a little search on youtube i saw you also sang the national anthem for nancy pelosi oh yeah yeah, yeah. that was something that happened in 2019 oh yeah yeah but all kinds of things like that yeah you know, just become impossible exactly in the pandemic. yeah our kids got to meet nancy pelosi i was explaining to them that she is the second most powerful person in the country after <laughs> trump um so it was, it was pretty awesome to see her kind of go head to head with trump like like, see, a, such a powerful, strong woman. Yeah. But yeah, unfortunately, none of those things were happening in the United States. Um, so, as Dina said, the kids were just at home. Yeah. <laughs> All the time. I cannot imagine what that's like. Let's talk about what led to your deciding to move from the United States to Taiwan. Uh, what were, maybe let's say, like the last straws, or what, what kind of sealed the deal for you? I think initially... Um when school closed down and we were kind of looking at how the U.S. was handling the pandemic, it did not seem like school was going to pick up again in the fall or, you know, and it, it, and it didn't. We thought, well, now is the perfect time for our children to experience living abroad. And then uh, once our date came up, I thought, well, I should probably go and just get all of, you know, our medical things taken care of because who knows what it's going to be like when we get over here um, and turns out that I had a breast cancer diagnosis. Wow. So that kind of threw a little wrench into our plans. But I decided to do my surgeries over in the U.S. and then we still picked up and moved because it's much safer here. So, Welly, were you the, the person that brought up the idea of coming to Taiwan or is this something you'd both thought of together? I think I've, I've always wanted my, I'm a second generation Taiwanese American and um, my roots are like so important to my own identity. And I always wanted our children to have that, have a relationship with Taiwan and know their ancestry, know their homeland and all those things. So it was always at the back of my mind. And I think before the pandemic, I also was looking for kind of a a next chapter or a sabbatical. Um, and Dina said to me, I don't think you should stop working. I was like, well, I just want to do something different. I want to do something different in life. It's mid-40s. Um, <laughs> you need to retire. Like, and, come uh, on, babe. No, I, I think oh. you called it a midlife crisis. Mid-life, you can't mid-life, retire okay, yeah. Midlife crisis. Yeah. yeah, when the pandemic happened, I think I quickly realized that the things that they were asking the American people to do were not in the American personality, like to not go out, you know, or to even literally putting a mask on your mouth, I think feels to so many people antithetical to what it means to mm. be American, which is like, you know, freedom of speech is like, I mean, symbolically, it feels anti-American. And we were just looking at the trends and we were like, dude, this does not look good. Mm. And, um, and, you know, everyone was trying to be rosy, you know, ev- ev- about the whole situation. Everyone was saying, no, 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 it, it will get control of it, you know. And um, But it just kept getting worse and worse. And with the kids home at school, you know, I remember Dina looked at me one day and she said, I, I don't want this for our kids. You know, mm-hmm. I, they're just in front of their screen all day long. Mm-hmm. And um, so I said, well, l- let's do this. Let me just see if it's possible to get a visa, because at that time, Taiwan had closed its borders to foreigners. And, That's right, you know, yeah. And we are foreigners. But we were able, luck, luckily, we were able to get a visitor's visa to visit relatives because my mother lives here. And my father had come in the winter um, and he just stayed. And then my brother was in New York in March 
when it was it was the worst of the worst and he came to Taiwan and uh, so I was like well let me see if we can get a visa and so he got in before it was closed off to foreigners um, so we were able to get a visa the embassy in Taiwan was uh, in LA was very helpful and it, I think happy to have us um, and we said well can we do the quarantine we we're like you know two weeks for is kind of a relatively small investment for having a normal life. Mm. Um, so we got the visa, and then the second well, most... The two-week quarantine is nothing compared to what we were doing yeah, every we day. Wow. I mean, we were... Quarantined you know I mean? for six months, essentially. Basically. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we can go outside for walks and things like that, but no social interaction with other people. It's like you see somebody walking, you cross the street, yeah. you know, because you don't want to inhale their air. <laughs> it was, it was pretty. It was pretty crazy. Yeah, going to a grocery yeah. store felt like every time you go to a grocery store it was like going into war. Yeah. I'm like you an know? anxiety attack. I'd start sweating. Like I can't. Yeah. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah. it was pretty depressing. I would say that that kind of a lifestyle. And yeah, um, yeah we thought, look, we've been doing this for six months. Or I thought at that time we'd only been doing it for three months. We we're like, you know, two weeks is. It's nothing. And we were able to find a great school for them here. And our school in L.A. was very helpful. And we, you know, we told the school in L.A., look, we're just, this is our contingency plan. Not sure it's going to be implemented, but they were very helpful in getting the kids into a great school here. So after everything was ready, we were like, all we have to do is say yes, you know. So I'm curious to know, like, how did you tell your kids that you were thinking about going to Taiwan? How did that conversation take place? So funny enough, we had been coming for Christmas every other year. Once a, every other year, we go to Sacramento to, with, to see Dina's family. And so we had just been here in December. And our kids, especially our son, loves like Taiwanese food. He, lo <laughs> he just like, he loves Taiwan. How old is he? He's 10. And um, so... I think when we, t how did we tell them? I think we just. I think we were just like, hey guys, school's not happening. Want to go to Taiwan? And they're like, yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, when, once they figured out though that it meant that they weren't going to be going back to school in Los Angeles, things kind of started settling in a little bit and they were like, oh wait. But they were still, they were still excited. Well, I think the anticipation of coming, they had started to get really excited about it. You know, we told them, you know, they could live a normal life here. Um, of course, meeting new friends is always a struggle. But then when we had to push off the trip um, because of Dina's diagnosis and her surgeries, I mean, our kids are little, so they really only understand when it, what affects them. So right. my daughter was like, well, of course we can't go now because of mom's cancer. And I was like, what the heck? We are like, yeah, it's a big she's, thing. She's yeah, going to she watch was, this interview and she's going to be yes, so mad at you. Right? Yes, she is. Well, she, she deserves it. Um, so. There's going to be some serious discussions later about this. <laughs> but, um, but I think they got excited about it after, um, after they realized, you know, what it would mean, which would mean, you know, a return to... A normal life, and um, we also promised them that they could get a dog when we got here. <laughs> Have you done that? We did. Oh, tell me about the dog. She's the cutest little fluffy Pomeranian thing that they named Matsu. Matsu, Matsu. <laughs> like the goddess the of the sea. Yes. <laughs> yes, and they love, 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 love her. So that's amazing. So they're very yeah. That that worked. <laughs> so, well, that's good. Uh, tell me about the the first day of school. Like, you're here in Taiwan, you've gone through, you know, 14 days of quarantine, yeah. and finally you're starting to experience n normal life again. What was that like for you? It was, 
it was emotional. It was overwhelming. It was kind of, um, it was the end of, of a really uh, significant period of time, you know, that we were, that it was just the four of us all day, every day for six months. So, you know, as, as much of a pain as it was to homeschool my children, I got really used to just being with them constantly. So to finally just kind of send them back to school, um, it was like, you know, I was like, oh, just wait, don't, don't leave me. You know, now, now what am I going to do with I was myself? the opposite. I was like, go, now go. What am I going to do? I'm going to go home and what? Um, and then, you know, to, to arrive at a school with children, with all the excitement and the, the buzz of, of the, the energy of, of a school, um, and to see them just, I mean, they were, they were overwhelmed as well, but just to kind of see them in that environment again, it was, um, it was, it was very emotional. Yeah, they were, they were about five weeks late to school. Um, and we had to do an additional, so we had two week quarantine plus an additional like safety week where we couldn't attend school. So that first day just, yeah, I mean, just seeing all the kids and with their backpacks and all the noise and, and, and wanting to meet the new students who are the new kids. Um, it was exciting. I was, yeah, I, I started tearing up just walking down the hallway and seeing all the kids. It was, it was awesome. Is that was. In life in Taiwan, <laughs> how has that been? Life in Taiwan has been really great. Um, I love it here. Um, What's your everyday life like? Well, I found a group of amazing women. I have several groups of amazing women, but one in particular who um, I work out with that uh, we meet twice a week, and they are the most supportive, beautiful, um, just wonderfully grounded, giving women that have just been a light in, in my life since I arrived here. And, uh, I look for, I, I need them mm. when I don't have, when I don't have that workout with them, when I don't have a dose of, of my garage girls, I get like really moody and not, you know, just, I need, I need them. That was Andrew Ryan speaking with Broadway stars Dina Morishita and Willie Young, who have recently moved to Taiwan during the pandemic. Next week, we'll hear more about their new life in Taiwan. Thanks for joining us on Taiwan Today. I'm Natalie So. Time Machine. Today's time traveler is John Van Trieste. And the destination, the 1910s. In cities around the world, there are many historic buildings that have fallen into disrepair. Some are remnants of an industry whose time has come to an end. Others are victims of circumstance, places whose occupants just moved on. 
cities might choose to condemn these old buildings and turn the land over to other uses. But one complex of buildings in central Taipei shows that there is another way. These buildings demonstrate that not only can old buildings be brought back to life, they can also become centers of art, culture, and tourism. The buildings that make up Huashan 1914 Creative Park weren't put up with visitors in mind. In the 1910s, when the first structures were designed, each one had a practical purpose. This was to be an industrial brewery, set up to supply Taiwan with liquor. And it was, by all accounts, a successful brewery from the beginning. This brewery was set up by Japanese entrepreneurs around 20 years into Japan's colonial rule over Taiwan. Its first batch of sake made a splash on the market. By late in 1915, the brewing company had gathered together 1.3 million yen in capital. It reorganized itself and moved beyond Japanese drinks like sake, adding local rice wine to its repertoire as well. By its peak, this brewery would employ 400 people. Though the bulk of what's now the park was devoted to brewing, a Japanese company trading in Taiwanese camphor also set up shop here, settling in a complex of buildings to one side. It was a prosperous beginning. During its 50 years under Japanese rule, Taiwan didn't stand still, and the park as we know it today is the result of changes in the way things were run during the 1920s. It was during the 1920s, for instance, that the brewery got an early version of its name, Huashan. Japanese street names came into use, and the street outside was named for Kabayama. Taiwan's first Japanese governor. If you look at the characters in the Japanese name Kabayama and the Chinese name Huashan, you'll notice that they are nearly the same. Most importantly, though, the 1920s also saw the colonial government declare a monopoly on important commodities. Among them were alcohol and camphor. The brewery was finally bought out by the government in 1929. And a wave of construction around this time has given us many of the buildings we still see. The brewery continued to be a major producer of alcohol through the 1920s, and though under new management, it continued to fill Taiwan's demand for liquor until 1945. That year, with the end of World War II, Japanese rule on Taiwan came to an end. The Republic of China government replaced Japanese rule. But it kept up the alcohol monopoly it had inherited. As it took over the brewery, it chopped off part of the first character in Kabayama's name, giving us the Chinese name Huashan that we use today. Of course, the post-war period brought more than just a name change. The brewery now added cassava liquor, fruit liquors, and other new products to its line. New products, new management, yet again. But the same monopoly and the same popularity. Things continued on this way for decades. There were signs around that the world was changing. By the 1960s, for instance, chemical substitutes had shuttered the old camphor business. But the closing of the camphor factory next door 
just gave the brewery more space for storing all its bottles. Still, changing times did eventually catch up with the place. By 1987, as Taiwan transitioned from decades of martial law to democracy, concerns were growing about the brewery's connection to water pollution. It was decided that several breweries, including this one, were to merge together, and their operations moved well outside of the city. With the brewery's closure, the whole site, nearly 20,000 square meters in area, was left abandoned. The brick and cement buildings inside were simply left to fall apart. The place wasn't totally forgotten, of course. In 1992, the legislature toyed with the idea of moving here. But costs and controversies saw those plans scrapped. Aside from a parking lot, not much was planned for the site's future. It was a great wasteland in the middle of the city. The turning point came in 1997, when the complex was rediscovered by a group of artists. Late that year, a performance troupe called the Golden Bow Theatre Group put on a show inside the old rice wine plant. It seemed to the group like a perfect way to put a derelict old place to new use. Maybe through art, it could even be brought to new life. The group had not been invited to perform, though. While the alcohol monopoly had left, this was still state property, and what the artists were doing was trespassing. When word got out, the director of the group was arrested. The arrest, though, set off a big and unexpected discussion about whether the artists might be onto something. The place wasn't being used, after all. By the next year, even some cultural officials had been convinced that the artists had a point. The idea of a cultural park began to gain traction. At first, only some parts of the complex were to be put to cultural uses. But during the park's first phase, from 1999 to 2003, the artists there got a lot of mileage out of the space they had to work with. During those years, there were over 4,000 cultural events held there. They ranged from art exhibitions to performances and classes. Now, after several more projects and changes, the whole site is open to the public, and it's often packed with people. The century-old brewery buildings are now home to trendy shops, bars, coffee shops and restaurants, a cinema, performance spaces, and exhibition halls. There's still ivy growing thick over some parts of the walls, and in some places you'll find thick graffiti as well. But there's a sense now that all this is part of the park's appeal. It's artsy and bohemian, and it's very Taipei. Guidebooks to the city now put Huashan Park in the limelight as a tourist attraction. On any day of the week, you'll hear a number of languages being spoken there. While there are few signs left of the kinds of day-to-day -day activities that once took place in the old brewery, signs and plaques still trace out the park's history for visitors. They take visitors back to the brewery's origins a hundred years ago, 
and they hold up the park as an example of what an abandoned historic site can become with enough creativity. I'm John Van Trieste, and I hope you'll join me again next week for another Journey Through Time. The Sound of the Puyuma Tribe on Radio Taiwan International. We now turn to the story of another overseas couple who are in Taiwan due to COVID-19. That's right. Now, this couple came from the Philippines to Taiwan in March to have in vitro fertilization. Now, they were planning to go back to the Philippines to have the babies, but by then the pandemic had grown worse and they ended up staying in Taiwan longer than they planned. Laura and her husband are celebrating the first month anniversary of the birth of their twins. We decided to come to Taiwan to IVF because we want to have my, our own baby. They arrived in Taiwan in March, and Laura was able to get pregnant via in vitro fertilization. But by then, the pandemic in the Philippines had taken a turn for the worse. They postponed their return home, worried about the risk of infection, and eventually gave birth in Taiwan by way of cesarean section. Because of this COVID-19, and we want here also, we want to deliver our babies here. So you are sure that you will go back to the country on January 7th? Doctors say that there's another overseas couple at the hospital also hoping to have their baby here where it's safe in Taiwan. Those babies are adorable. Are I love the way cute? they dress them up and everything. Yeah. It's so cute. And it's great. They actually ended up having twins, one boy, one girl. You know, what's really interesting is they actually already had four children that they adopted and they'd been trying for 17 years to have babies of their own. So wow. it's great that they were able to do that. Now, because they stayed in Taiwan so long, they ended up using all of their money on their stay in the in vitro fertilization. Uh, but the hospital actually is paying for their plane tickets back home. Oh, that's good. We wish them the very best. Dinner is served. Join Andrew Ryan and Ellen Chu as they sample their way through Taiwan's culinary delights. Andrew, I thought we said no more intestines. <clears throat> That's on Feast Meets West every Saturday, only on Radio Taiwan International. Radio for refined palates. From a bar mitzvah at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem to a temple procession in Taipei. The people of our world are passionate about their beliefs. Are you listening? 
Tune in to the sounds of your world on Radio Taiwan International. Radio Taiwan International. Any day, any time at english.rti.org.tw. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw. Our 60-minute English program can be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In Southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6185 kHz. In South Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199 Taipei, Taiwan. You can also email us at rti at rti.org.tw.